Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Over these past weeks, God is doing something special. He's laying the foundations for revival. And what he's doing is building up what you might call the ancient ruins. He's he's putting foundational principles in place so that we together are clear and strong and confident about what we believe and how we minister this. I talked to you about how to be born again, if you recall. That's what revival will be. Revival is really a healthy church. That's all revival is. It's what the New Testament church is supposed to look like. It's when Christians begin to function like they're supposed to function. Full of joy, full of exuberance, full of faith, understanding the gospel, leading others to Christ as God opens the doors. That's the point. And so all of this in this season right now is God empowering the whole church, you, to minister effectively. And when you get a hold of this, when you realize how real this is, you're gonna get excited, I believe all, many of you already are, excited about this thing, joyful, realizing, whoa, the world needs this. I, I had a, a woman talk to me after one of the services last weekend, and it was very telling to me. Uh, she waited, and she was the last one I talked to, and she was weeping when I talked to her, and, and uh, I sat and waited for a minute, and then finally she said, all the miracles, all the changes. And then, then she went back to weeping. And then it turned out that she had gone to a church five years ago and wanted the Lord, and they said, pray the sinner's prayer. And so she prayed this little prayer they gave her, and she figured, well, that's it. And then she came, and she says, I've been here for five sermons. I don't know if that's one full weekend and then one. I mean, she said, I, I've been here for five sermons. And, she, and then she said, nobody ever told me I had to give my life to Jesus. And then she broke down and wept again, and she said, all the changes, all the miracles. What she was saying was this. No one gave me the whole story. No one allowed me to engage the basic issues no one told me Jesus made, wanted me to give, me give his life to me. And when you told me that, I did. And when you did, he came in powerfully. All the miracles and all the changes since I have prayed that with a whole heart. And then she said, I have to forgive them for not telling me about this before. You see, there's going to be a lot of that in heaven where people go to, the, go to the Lord's church and they expect to hear the gospel and they're looking for God and we don't give them all the truth. There are certain issues in the new birth that must be engaged for the new birth to take place. You can Christianize, you can religiousize people, you can introduce them to, to Christianity, you can give them positive attitudes and five steps to a successful life, but that is not the new birth. Now, what's fun is, when you get people born again, when you see lives radically transforming, when you think about that daughter who's on drugs somewhere, and you know that when she really gets born again, that's going to turn around like that, that she's going to get set free, that this isn't just religious psychology. 
Then you start getting feisty and you breathe a little steam and you go, praise God, I'm gonna pray for their soul. You know, you, you get like that. And then when they come to the Lord and they turn around 180 degrees and you've suddenly got this beautiful daughter with a clean, bright eyes. And she's a fanatic. That's the New Testament. That's the book of Acts. That's how come they were like they were. This gospel works. The whole gospel, the real gospel, the true gospel still changes lives. But the false gospel doesn't. The partial gospel doesn't. The success story doesn't. And America has been riddled with a watered-down, sanitized, gutted, eviscerated gospel. You don't get... It's not a mean gospel. It's not an angry gospel. It's not a grumpy gospel. It's not a judgmental gospel, is it? It's simply telling people the whole truth and letting them engage it honestly. And then when they do, what happens when you're born again? The Holy Spirit comes into you. You are infused with his presence. He, he joins himself to your spirit in the same kind of bond that a husband and a wife become one flesh. He marries us. We are his bride. And now you're full of the Spirit of God. How could you not be changed? All the miracles, all the changes. And she wept. What a wonderful thing. This is what we're getting a hold of. We talked about water baptism. You don't have to be water baptized to be saved, but water baptism is the biblical way. It's the way Jesus commanded for us to initiate our life as a disciple to make those decisions and to offer ourselves without reservation to Jesus Christ. This I surrender all, I give you all. That's, that's the message of water baptism. Men and women standing there and before their family and friends saying, I am his. I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ or of his gospel. Of standing and saying, Lord, I offer you my life. You've given me yours, I give you mine. Boy, with a heart like that, that declaration. So water baptism is this powerful declaration. We've denied people that. We've been soft about it. I've been soft about it. But it's a mistake. Today, we add a third major pillar in the foundation of revival. This is absolutely an essential and a, and a wonderful thing. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for your power now to come upon us. We ask for your presence to open our hearts and minds. We would be New Testament men and women. We would be full of life. We would be revived. We would see you move within us. Come and open the word. Open my heart, Lord, to speak your word as you would have it spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. In 300 years, Christianity became the, the, the licensed religion, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, it just sw swarmed, and it did it because of people like us, just men and women, ordinary Christians, full of this truth, sharing it with their sister and their brother-in-law and, and their neighbor, and seeing so-and-so delivered from drugs. Same kind of thing, and it just swept through the Roman Empire, the entire area of the world. And then what happened? Well, then it got to be a powerful, wealthy thing to become a clergyman and a bishop. And you begin to have unclean men come into these positions. And the gospel was lost. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit was lost. The entire thing, confusion, twisted doctrines, which by the way are being taught today, things like the Da Vinci Code, all of that is the trash that comes out of the corruption period where the devil went after the gospel. Wouldn't you go after the gospel? Wouldn't you try to, to, to cloud the character of Jesus Christ? I mean, if you were the devil, you'd be a fool to pass that one up. So he went at it, he went at it early and hard, straight at the thing. And so the church actually, for a long period of history, became a huge cult. There's no other word for it, just a huge cult. And then, in the last few centuries, God has been restoring these foundation stones, restoring the ancient foundation, the gospel, the truth of, of salvation by faith in Christ alone, the evangelistic call that we should be sending missionaries and reaching out and, and telling the world. They had this thing about predestination, like whoever's gonna get it's gonna get it. That junk got melted down and the, the gospel is now being spread all over the world. And then at the turn of this last past century, in the early 1900s, the baptism of the Holy Spirit began to be stirred. Nobody had that really. I mean, there was a few people here and there yeah, some of the great leaders actually did have it. The Moravians had it and Wesley got it. That's how he got it from them. But, but nonetheless, at the turn of this century, all of a sudden, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the things we're gonna talk about today, these New Testament realities began to come back to the church and now there are hundreds of millions of people baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only movement on planet Earth that's growing faster than Islam is Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. We have, I'll tell you what the last days are shaping up as. It is going to be a contest between militant Islam and New Testament Christianity. Those that do not move in the power of God, those that do not have New Testament power, I think are gonna drop and be, and within the next 20 or 30 years, I think they'll be almost non-existent. Right now, with the, with the forces that are working in this world, you cannot have a powerless Christianity. You have to have the power of God. One of the fun things is uh, when you go on the mission field, you have these groups, you know, that oppose the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then they send out missionaries, and when they get over in the mission field, the poor people cannot survive on a powerless form of Christianity, and so they become Pentecostals, and then when they come home, they get in trouble. <laughs> when, when Mary and I were traveling, we went over to Ethiopia. We spent a month in Ethiopia and Addis Ababa and traveled to some, and uh, the Lutheran, there was a large Lutheran station there and a huge radio station called Radio Voice of the Gospels, 50,000 watt uh, broadcasting tower over that whole area of Africa. And this is run by the Lutheran church. Well, they had a prayer meeting that somebody invited us to and so uh, a couple of us got a little cab and went across town. They're just as Pentecostal as they could have been. There's all of them baptized in the Holy Spirit and spent the evening telling us about miracles and healings and deliverances of demons. Not, a, not usually your Lutheran fair. And uh, <laughs> what it had, I said, now nah, you, you aren't, you're, you know, of course I, actually, I was going to Lutheran college. I, I mean, I knew what I was talking about too, but I said, you're not your normal Lutheran. And they said, well, you know, when you come over here, you gotta have power. You've gotta have the power of God. And I'm telling you the way America's changing people, you've got to have the power of God. You've got to have the power of God. You don't have to be a fruitcake, but you have to be close. <laughs> All right, let's have a look at this. How to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, I'm giving you this so you can minister it. 
not so you can bring them to me. Now, we are having baptism in the Holy Spirit services every other month, water baptism services every other month. Those will be there. We will be, you know, we're always willing to minister individually. But I want you to learn that when you bring somebody to the Lord, you're responsible for them. You get them water baptized. In fact, when we have water baptisms, I would like it if you did the baptizing of those you bring to Christ. I sit there and I'll make sure you get them all the way under. That's my job. And I'll hold the microphone and you baptize them. You baptize your fruit. And you see, you see that they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see that they get a Bible. You begin to take care of the people that the Lord brings into your life. Are you willing to accept that? Yeah, that's going to be what New Testament Christianity looks like. That's revival. Here we go. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God which causes ordinary people to become extraordinarily effective as witnesses for Jesus Christ. Ordinary people become extraordinarily effective. Always. By it, God equips believers today with the same power we read about in the New Testament. Since the day of Pentecost... God's plan has been to supernaturally equip every believer so that the ministry of Jesus Christ may continue through us. His ascension into heaven did not mean that his ministry on earth stopped, but rather it was an essential step which released even more of his ministry. As the head of his church, he now directs growing multitudes of spirit-empowered men and women to carry his gospel around the world. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of this necessary power so that God's servants can carry out their calling. Let me stop there. Let me, let me define for you God's strategy. There is a very clear strategy in the New Testament. Remember Jesus said this to his disciples. They said, Lord, don't leave us. He said, I'm leaving. He said, don't leave us. And he says, no, it is better that I go. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Now, wouldn't you like to have him stay around? I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say it's better for you to leave. We say, no, stick around, you know, and just think today we would have tours of the Holy Land. You'd meet Jesus on day eight, you know? It would, and, but he says, it's better that I go. It's better that I go. And, and then he tells us why. Do you remember what the answer was? He said, because if I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Now here's how the whole thing's supposed to work. Jesus never intended for his ministry, his ministry, underscore his ministry, to stop. What was his ministry? Now, that's a no-brainer. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He preached the gospel. He... He fed hungry people, right? We know what his ministry was. There's no mystery here. He never intended for his ministry to stop. He said what's going to happen is I'm going to ascend into heaven and then from there as head of the church, the Father at my request will send forth the Holy Spirit upon you and you will be empowered the same way I've been empowered. Now let me amplify on that. Jesus did not minister as the second person of the Trinity in his own power. Do you understand that? A lot of people think, well, he just came down, he's God, he can do that kind of stuff. When he became a man, he laid aside his privileges of divinity. He couldn't lay aside his divinity, he is. He's the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And yet he became a man. 
And so he did not use any of his power at all. As the second person, the Son of God, he did not use that power to minister on earth. I gotcha. Man, there's a whole bunch of. <laughs> when did he receive power? At the River Jordan. At the River Jordan, it says that as John was baptizing him, he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him and rest upon him as a dove, and then there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. It says then that Jesus went out in the power of the Spirit. Power, the Spirit actually led him into temptation 40, 40 days and tested him hard. Jesus Christ ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we see him, we see what a man who is totally pure and totally yielded to the Father and led by the Father can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. We did not seek a God come who simply worked in his own power. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only speak what I hear the Father speak. He operated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Had he operated in his own power, he would have ruined himself as our sacrifice. He had to become one of us to die for us. He laid aside that power. Now, if Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, would it occur to you that you would need to too? What he said was, I am going to send the Holy Spirit upon you like he's been upon me. I'll be the head, you be my body on earth. And instead of one of me, now, through all of you, there will be growing multitudes of people all over the earth carrying this power of the Holy Spirit, and you will do what you hear me do, see me do. You will speak what you hear me speak. And I will lead you, and now my body will carry the gospel to a vastly greater number of people. When he said, greater works shall you do because I go to the Father, it, I, don't, I don't know how you do greater works than raise the dead. But, so I don't think it's in, in, in quality. I don't, how do you do greater works than what he did? I don't think so. But number-wise, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Far more healings, far more deliverances, far more people being encountered with the gospel now through his body. This was his plan all along. Devil's gone at it as hard as he could. And so today we have these arguments over should you be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If these arguments, should you be praying for the sick, it's, just, it's, it's, it's pathetic, to be honest with you. It's absolutely pathetic. But we are in, I believe, the latter reign. I believe the, t the coming of the Lord is getting closer. We're beginning to see last day's circumstances begin to take shape. And the power of God is moving over, over the planet Earth right now in a remarkable way. And that's what we want to be part of and suited for. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of this necessary power so that God's servants can carry out their calling. In effect, it is the moment when God ordains them. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were ordained by having oil poured over their heads. Remember the example of David? He was the youngest of the family. Samuel took a horn. It would have been a ram's horn, probably, full of oil. 
And he was told to go to the house of Jesse and to anoint a king. Well, they went through all seven of these brothers and there was none that the Lord said was right. And then he says, don't you have any more? And they said, yeah, we got a punk out in the, out in the sh sheep fold. You, you don't want him. He's freckled and red hair and little. And you know what Samuel said? We'll stand until the king arrives. So here comes little David. Yeah, dad? And everybody's at attention for the king has just entered in. And he poured the oil over his head. And it says, and the spirit came upon David from that day forth. He was ordained. What I'm trying to tell you is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's ordaining of you. He pours oil over your head and sets you into his ministry with power. When this symbolic action was performed, God's spirit came upon them. From that moment on, they ministered with new power. Today, following his resurrection, Jesus Christ pours out an even greater anointing on those who enlist into his service. Why do we need it? In order to properly answer this question, we must first make a very important observation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work of the Holy Spirit distinct from and additional to his regenerating work in the new birth. When someone repents, believes, and confesses Jesus Christ, there is an immediate infusion of the Spirit. He comes inside and joins himself to our human spirit in a bond similar to the one flesh bond of a husband and wife. In this way, we become living temples. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? But, in the, but this indwelling is not the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A person may be saved so that he or she is prepared to go to heaven, but not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit so that he or she is empowered for God's service. Do you understand the difference? The baptism of the Holy Spirit should not be thought of as an optional gift, which one may or may not wish to receive. Since it is God's way of equipping and fitting believers for New Testament ministry, refusing it severely limits his ability to use us. Every child of God should consider it a solemn privilege and responsibility to receive this gift. Without it, we cannot properly function in the miraculous dimension he intends for us. There are people waiting for you to be, to be full of the Holy Spirit. There are people who are sick or who need, people, who need a New Testament believer to pray for them. There are people who are demonized that need New Testament Christians to deliver them. There are people who need to see the mighty hand and love of God through people who are on fire. It is not our, it is not our right to be lukewarm. It is a sinful renunciation of the call of God on our lives. Others are in your wake. Others are affected by your life. You can't get away from that. You can't say, I'll live my own individual life. It doesn't work like that on planet Earth. We all leave ripples. We all impact lives. And there are people who need you desperately to be full of the Holy Spirit and need me. Amen? amen. Say, uh, say amen again. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Who can receive it? On the day of Pentecost, Peter announced that God would give the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a few people. Say it. Everyone who repents and openly confesses Jesus Christ. 
And he mentioned that children could receive this gift as well. Oh, children receive so easily. They are so sweet. They just, well, never mind. So each of us as Christians can be confident that God wants to give us this blessing. In fact, because we have been joined by faith to Christ, we should think of it as something we have already been given in potential, even though we may not have received it in our personal experience. Therefore, everyone who belongs to Christ is already qualified to receive it. Like salvation, we don't earn it or deserve it. It is a gift. Let me explain something. When you join yourself by faith to Christ, you literally are married to him. You become one with him. We are his body. You, Paul uses the phrase, we are in him, as though we were placed inside of Christ. You and I don't deserve anything. Never will. But because we are joined to him, we inherit with him everything he deserves. And he has won everything from the Father. By his death and resurrection, by his sacrificial service on our behalf and his absolute faithfulness to his call, somehow the God has lifted him up and given him the name above every other name that his name every knee should bow. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is immersed in the Shekinah glory of heaven. And because you are in him, you inherit with him everything that's his. Do you understand that? This is remarkable. In the state of Washington, if you're married, you share your estate. The husband and wife are 50-50. I mean, you got, you know, just by, you're married now, so half of that's hers or half of that's his. It's just the way it is. You are married to Christ, and his inheritance is your inheritance. That's the remarkable part of this. Thank you, Jesus. How come you have the Holy Spirit? Because you're in Christ. How do we receive this baptism? First of all, be born again. In the interest of time, would you say amen? amen. Thank you. Number two. <laughs> be water baptized. In the interest of time, would you say amen? amen. All right, number three. Draw near to God. Yeah. I'm not going by this one that fast. But I won't, amen, yeah. The power of God needs to be actively at work for a person to receive this gift. So worship until you strongly sense his presence. I just want to bring this point out. You can't minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a cold environment. There needs to be the spiritual warmth, the presence of the glory of God. And Many people will try that, they're, they're, you know, and, and you can't minister. There's certain things you can't bluff. A healing is one of them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of them. And this is one of the reasons it's not popular. You, you have to have the anointing or you got nothing. You can't bluff this thing. And so like when we had the baptism of the Holy Spirit service here a couple of weeks ago, I had a team that was going to help me minister. And we arrived an hour and a half early had some coaching on how we, what we were going to do, but then we went ahead and had prayer. We got on our face and worshiped and prayed and just pressed in to the glory of God. 
We needed to be full of the Spirit. The room needed to be full of the Spirit. I think you can sense, can't you, the presence of God. You can, it's like a warm room or a cold room. You can tell when the Lord moves and begins to move on the, us today as we worshiped. Uh, there's, there's times people come sometimes and it's, it, people are tired, they're weary, they're, maybe they're ill. There's kind of a coolness and just that. And then you just sense the spirit of the Lord sweep in. Well, you're sensing the power of God. Theologically, in him we live and move and have our being. He's everywhere. But in experience, there are his presence comes and is powerfully present at times and then also not powerfully present at times. That's the reality of it. And if you're going to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even if it's by yourself, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by yourself. If you, if you are ferociously independent, then you probably can't. He'll make you have others pray for you. But it's not that he won't give this individually, but you need to worship until the anointing of God comes upon you. Realize you desperately need God's power. Jesus said he would give the baptism of the Holy Spirit to those who thirst for it. As long as we think we can succeed without this gift of power, we're not going to have it. Only when we realize our utter need of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and long for it at any cost will it be ours. Not everybody realizes their need for the power of God. Some of us are very intelligent, very capable, very, very talented, and, and frankly, we think, we, I, you know, whatever, Spirit of God, I, I can do an awful lot for God because I'm frankly as intelligent and smart and gifted as I am. And so frankly, God's lucky to have me. Um, <laughs> you laugh, but I think that human pride is something like that. It smells like that. Uh, and I, I think there's some of it in all of us, I suppose. And we almost have to come to a place where we're, where we're so frustrated with our own inabilities. And, and then there'll also come, I think, the compassion of God where you see the needs and you see the brokenness of people and you want more power, not so that you can be some glamorous uh, person they all admire, but because you long to see God touch people. You're not satisfied with the status quo. You're not satisfied to be powerless. You need to have God working. It, you're hungering for it. You're thirsting for it. That's what God looks for. That's, that's the Holy Spirit putting that in you. And then we prepare our heart. Once we strongly sense his presence, there are some matters of the heart that need to be addressed. And I would do that once the presence of God is there, not before. Offer yourself to him in complete surrender. Though you must have done this when you were born again, it is the sort of attitude which tends to disintegrate over time, like about a week. It is important to repeatedly check our hearts. Remember, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is intended for disciples who completely surrender their lives to serve Jesus Christ. God is calling us to to spirit-led, spirit-empowered ministry, so we must be able to say to him, why don't you say that with me? Send me where you will. Do with me what you will. Use me as you will. If this is a fearful thought, Remember, you are putting yourself in the hands of his infinite wisdom and love. God is looking for his disciples. And disciples are people who say, Lord, I'm yours. I will serve you. To those, he says, then I will empower you. I had someone talk to me and they said, does a person have to be a disciple? Does it have to be for ministry that you get the baptism of the Spirit? And as she explained, there was a situation with a husband who'd come and heard this message, and he says, well, I guess it's not for me. I don't want to serve God. And she's saying, can he get it for other reasons? I said, not with that attitude. 
And I said, no, he'll have to decide to serve God. And then when he surrenders his heart, then he has this. The baptism in this Holy Spirit isn't some experience to give you cold chills or something. Or warm chills. It's not about that. If you understand what it is, it's ordination for service. Now, does it bring all kinds of other benefits? Absolutely. I mean, once you learn to walk in the Holy Spirit, everything opens up. But if you have a heart that says, I don't want to serve him, I just want something for me, I don't know. He doesn't say he'll give it to you. It isn't for that. You don't have to have it to be baptized, uh, to be saved. You need it to be a servant. You need it to be in the New Testament Christian. That's what you need. You need to, if you want the horn of oil poured over your head, and that's really what it is, the Spirit of the Lord come over you. If you want to be ordained for the ministry of Jesus Christ, that's what this is. Freely confess any areas of sin which come to mind. We need to renounce all forms of disobedience, letting the Holy Spirit and God's word convict you of matters that need to be confessed. In some cases or areas where there have been habitual failure, it would be good to confess that sin to a mature Christian. Just getting that condemnation and that shame off of your conscience, getting that all confessed and cleaned up. C, remove common hindrances. Some people believe the baptism, pardon me, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit quite easily. But others may try repeatedly without success. Here is a short list of obstacles that hinder people from receiving. Remember to seek pastoral help with any of these if you need it. Once they are removed, people often receive quite quickly. Previous teaching against the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking with tongues. Let me just ask quickly, how many of you were raised in some church or went, your earlier years had you being taught that this is of the devil or these gifts went out with the writing of the Bible, that kind of teaching? How many of you? Raise your hands, hold them high. Isn't it amazing how that message has been proselytized? Study the Bible Talk with a believer you respect about your concerns. And then at some point, you will have to renounce the false elements in what you were taught. Unforgiveness. Nothing clogs the flow of the Holy Spirit like bitterness. For anything, healing, baptism of the Spirit, you name it. It makes no difference whether or not you have a right to be bitter. Be totally honest with yourself. There, there may be people you've rejected so long it seems normal. Forgive them in your heart, but you may also need to take steps to reconcile. That's a, I, I won't stop there because of time, but that is extremely important. One must clean the heart and think deeply about where those bitternesses are. Occult practices. There are a great number of false religions, magical practices, or occult spiritism through which people may have previously opened themselves to bondage. These need to be repented of and then commanded to leave if this has not been done before. You give permission somehow. Many of us have opened our lives in the past to occultic things and other kinds of spiritual influences and they don't just let go. They need to be addressed. In the name of the Lord Jesus, get out and, 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 and remove those things and, and free your, your spiritual life. Address it using your authority as a believer. Misunderstanding of the nature of the Holy Spirit. Some people fear receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and particularly speaking in tongues because they assume 
They will be, a, be seized by a spirit who turns them into a helpless puppet. Pictures of bizarre behavior or helplessly losing control flood their minds. Our answer to this fear is that he is a holy spirit. So whatever he does will be pure and filled with love. He doesn't enslave us. We must, be willing to, we must willingly yield to him as he inspires us. Nothing is more heavenly than sensing his presence flow over you. If you're afraid of it, thinking it's some seance-like thing, it's a, there's, a, there's a dark, heavy oppression, he's going to come and take hold of you. That's the devil. That's the way the devil and demonic forces work. It is the opposite of the Holy Spirit. Does he, does he move on people? You say, well, how come people fall and stuff? Hey, if you fall, you'll love it. I mean, <laughs> there's one thing to having, you know, kind of a phony line where you push people over. There's another thing when the Holy Spirit really moves and some people do times uh, fall. And if it's real, I'm not gonna argue with it. I actually, when I was a boy, when, when it hit me, I, I blanked out. I was in a chair that propped me up, thing, you know, so I didn't hit the floor. Let's not be afraid of the real. Let's not pursue the phony. Let's not try to make anything happen other than press into God. Just let God do his work. But don't be afraid of him. He's not going to turn you into much of a fruitcake. He, he won't turn you into a fruitcake, but he will turn you into someone who's zealous and someone who's full of, full of love of the Lord. Feelings of unworthiness, I've already spoken to that. Ask specifically for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tell God you want his gift. And tell him you'd like to speak in tongues and prophesy, just like they did in the New Testament. Ask someone who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit to lay hands on you and pray for you to receive this gift. Expect God to give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is, the point here is that we should have faith that he has given it to us. We should stand and take it by faith. I, this statement that says, we must have the kind of faith that puts out its hand and receives the very thing it asks of God. Take hold of it. Remember Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and focus on him. Soften your heart so you can receive what he's giving to you. Don't focus on feeling something. Focus on worshiping him. Freely and spontaneously praise him, telling him you love him and thanking him for baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. And then I'd like to read this last one. How will I know when I've received this gift? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a definite experience which a person knows whether they've received it or not. However, what matter, it matters isn't that you have an experience which fits some certain expectations you may have in your mind, but that God powerfully touches you so that you know it. That's the real difference. One person may have one kind of thing, another, per, you know, another person is just as quiet and stoic, and yet... God moved powerfully on them and they know it. That's the point. You don't have to be like somebody else. Just let God touch you the way he touches you. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not merely an event in which you speak in tongues. It is your ordination into ministry with power. So the most important sign indicating that you've received it is that you are released to minister in the Spirit. You'll find you are now able to hear his voice Feel his anointing come upon you and let the gifts of the Spirit function through you. 
By cooperating with his leading and dependency on his power, you will become supernaturally fruitful. This is why there's power. You learn to hear him and you learn to rely on him. Now you are powerful. You'll see remarkable things happen and know God did it, not you. This new walk is the unmistakable proof that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Mary and I, when we were in college, uh, had a friend. She was a nursing student, as was Mary. She was uh, Mary's good friend and had come to the Lord in, in our dorm room. And, but she had a disease called Marfam's, uh, if I recall. And it's a, it's, a, it's a disintegration of the connective tissue. It's a disease that attacks the stuff that sticks you together and... and a person just kind of begins to come apart. And there's a, there's a classic textbook look to a person with Marfams. They're tall and thin and there's scoliosis of the spine. There's all of this kind of thing. And she was a textbook example of Marfams and having, beginning to have the, some very severe symptoms. Um, usually they die young. And her, she was having these rapid heartbeats. She could just hear her heart pounding and one of the things that will often happen is they'll have these aneurysms that go or the heart goes. And she, the doctor who she was seeing regularly said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you're just coming to the end of your life. And she had received the Lord and was baptized in the Holy Spirit in our, in our dorm room. And she, one evening, if I recall it was after, after dinner, she was down in the chapel, praying by herself. Now, we had a great big stone church. It was a Lutheran campus, big, big stone church on this. And downstairs was a little chapel. And Mary said, let's, let's go pray for Nancy. And uh, so she and I headed down and found her in there. She said, well, you know, would you mind if we prayed for you? And she says, not at all. And so she was kneeling there at the front and we laid hands on her and prayed for her and we prayed good solid prayers. I mean, it was a good time prayer. And then we hugged her and walked out and the, the, that church has a huge long corridor down the entire basement of it to the, to the far end. And we had gone to the end of it. We were arm in arm and we were walking up and we were going up the steps at the, at the far end and I, had, I can remember I had my foot in the air. <laughs> I was literally caught midstream and the Lord said, go back and pray again. And I, I kind of stopped like this and I said, but we just did. Now see, this is how I interact with God. <laughs> I, it is, I, it's just impressive. Anyhow, and, and I stood there for a minute and Mary said, did what? And, and I said, I just told God we just prayed for Nancy. <laughs> I said, he wants us to go back and pray again. And Mary, being Mary, said, well, then let's do it. Uh, <laughs> cool, yeah. That's, that's. And so we went back and, and uh, you know, kind of went in, and Nancy was still there uh, on her knees praying and weeping, and, and uh, we said, no, this looks a little funny. We, we were embarrassed, I mean, but I was anyway. Would, would you mind, we believe the Lord said to pray again. I don't know why, but. We just feel we should do that. She said, well, fine, you know. So we prayed again, and I don't remember what was notable. I mean, the power of God we, was there, but anyhow, we prayed again. Well, she was 
totally healed. Now, she is today, she has been, she married one of the other guys that got baptized in the Holy Spirit in the dorm room. They've had raised two children. She didn't bear that they adopted the children. She is healthy and an active nurse uh, today, after all these years. She was completely healed and delivered. She had a Jewish doctor, and Nancy's spunky, and a lot of fun, and uh, she just loved telling him about her healing. <laughs> and he was stunned. He was stunned and had to admit that something certainly had happened. And, and so she, she was the kind that really enjoyed sharing Christ with him. Here's the point. Would you notice that the New Testament ministry has everything to do with God speaking and doing what he says to do? Remember how Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. Over these many years, the most powerful things that I've ever seen done are by far and away the things that are initiated or divinely guided by the Holy Spirit. I could spend all day telling you stories where God said do this and we did this and, and then lo and behold. That's why there's power. This is called New Testament ministry. Jesus says it's better that I go to the Father. If I go to the Father, he will send you the Holy Spirit. You will have upon you the power I've been operating in. I will be the head. I will direct you and guide you. You will be my body on earth. And now with multiplied millions of you functioning in love and harmony, you will carry my gospel, my healing, my deliverance, my compassion to the entire planet. And it will be far better that I go to the Father. This is the New Testament plan. This is the era we live in. And this is what's to happen as the coming of the Lord draws nearer. So when we talk about this baptism, your ordination, your setting apart, this is not only... This isn't for a few crackpots or emotional types or the hyper-spiritual among us. If you're a New Testament Christian, if you intend to cooperate with the plan of God, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we need to walk in these things and stir up our spirit and stay tender and fresh to the things of God. Obviously today, I'm not going to have a ministry time for this. You have a, something that you can read through and work through. We will certainly pray for people, but that, that's not the point. The point was to equip you and to put something in your hand. There will be brochures on this that'll be easier to work with than what you have. But I would say, if there's any today and you haven't been, baptized in the Holy Spirit and you, maybe you've tried as all that kind of thing or maybe you have been set against it but, but you realize as I'm talking today that's got to be malarkey I've been taught then may I invite you to, to step into something new to step into this wonderful baptism in the Holy Spirit and to move in the Spirit and to learn to train your ear to hear Him and begin to work in His power the world's waiting for us. The world's waiting for us. You can see the times, can't you? You can see the shaking. It's going on and it's not going to stop, people. The, t the pace isn't slowing down. It's amping up. 
And so the wonderful thing is there'll be millions of people looking for Christ. There are now. And so we're getting ready. We're getting suited up. We're getting equipped. We're getting strengthened and our foundations firmly laid so that we can participate in, these, in the harvest of these days. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your plan and we love your sweet son. And we would indeed be the body of Christ on planet earth. We would indeed have within us the sweet spirit of the Lord. Come Holy Spirit. We just say upon us as a people and us individually, come Holy Spirit. Would you say that with me? Come Holy Spirit. Dwell within us. Live, live upon us and among us. We would be led by the Spirit, dependent upon the Spirit, moving in the Holy Spirit. And by faith, therefore, we declare that the days ahead of us will be more and more wonderful as we see your healings and deliverances, people saved and born again, lives changed, marriages restored, parents restored to children and children to parents, people delivered from drugs and addiction and demonic oppression. We bless you for the mighty harvest that we, the Church of Jesus Christ, and we, Northwest Church, will be part of. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for reviving your church in America. Thank you for pouring out your spirit on the church around the world. Lord, where our hearts do wake up and we, we expect your soon return. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come soon but not until the last soul's in. Oh, Lord. We pray these things. And if you agree with me and you say, I, I do, I invite the Lord into my life and we invite the Lord into our family as a spiritual church, would you say amen? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.